0: Let me pray before we start. Heavenly Father, you are the creator, the giver of life. You are the savior and Lord of all. We humbly open your word and pray that you would open our hearts by your spirit. Enlighten our eyes so we can see you as you really are. And let Jesus be glorified here today. Amen. The name of Jesus. We've been singing it all morning. Isn't it interesting? There's been a theme in the the worship: the name of Jesus. Because the name of Jesus has taken a bit of a hit lately. I don't know if you're aware, but there's been a huge media storm. Uh, there's been a prime time TV show which has kind of mocked the name of Jesus, and there was a crude joke made about Jesus. And you know, though I don't watch the show myself, it's been splashed all over the media, and um. It was interesting. There's a panel of presenters on the show, and it was, I was kind of interested to see their response on their faces. You know, some were openly laughing, others were like, oh. the others were like, oh. and I thought, oh my goodness, what would your response be if you heard that joke? And I was angry. I'm like, what? That's the Son of God you're mocking. That's my Savior. That's the creator of the universe. What are you doing? If I was God, I would end that sentence, right? But then I realized, you know what? If I didn't have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, if if my human condition, I don't know. Like I could be one of those people. Um I have to think, how would God see these people? And, and his response would be, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't have their eyes open to the Lord being the savior, you know. And then on Sunday last week, as we were driving home from church, I looked up in the sky and Jesus was written in the sky. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, and it reminded me that people will have different heart responses. In Mark four, Jesus said some will have a hard heart, like a, stony path. Some will have rocky or thorny hearts full of distractions and the worries of the world. Others will have fertile hearts where the the seed, the word of God will come and it will take root and be very fruitful. Today... As I share today, I want the aim of this message is to highlight different responses to Jesus and to help us identify our response to Jesus. Because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. There are two responses here. One says the cross is foolishness. It's crazy. Why would God choose a method of execution, as his vehicle of salvation. But the other response is, wow, this is the wisdom and power of God. And I've been doing a series, look, it has been three years, I think, on... It's called Back to Basics, and I've been doing a chapter of Mark each time. And Mark is the shortest book in the Bible. It's, it's the most direct of the Gospels. It was written in AD 55, and it's basically who is Jesus, what did he say, what did he do, and what's our response? So as we've traveled through Mark, we've gone through Israel, we've watched Jesus, we've seen his baptism, his healings, his miracles, his teaching, the question time. And his opponents. He clearly predicts his death three times Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10. And in Mark 13, he says, Get ready, be ready. The end of the age is coming, be prepared. So now we're up to chapter 14. Here we go, Mark 14. And we're going to, we're right on the edge. Of his death, we're very, very close. These are crucial moments, so we're going to read together from Mark 14 from the NIV. Okay, so um, Jaden's going to put the scriptures up behind me, verse one. Now, the Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival. They said, or the people may riot. So in Jewish culture, the Passover was one of the most important celebrations. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years under under Pharaoh. And Moses led the people out of Egypt after 10 significant plagues. Remember the frogs, the locusts, the blood, etc. But the last plague was the death of the firstborn son. But God commanded the Israelites, he said, sacrifice a lamb, a Passover lamb, spread the blood on your doorposts and the angel of death will pass over you. And they celebrated this every year to remember, remember that night, remember what God has done to rescue you. And so the timing of the Passover in Mark 14 is significant. Jesus was going to die on the celebration of the Passover. John the Baptist said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, Lamb. They've got that connection there. But let's look at the response of the Pharisees, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're scheming and plotting. In other translation it says they're looking for a sly way to arrest Jesus. They want to do it in secret because they're more concerned about the appearance that they don't want a riot. They fear the people rather than fearing God. Remember how um, they're more concerned about keeping the traditions, you know, cleaning their hands and cleaning their pots. They care more about the tradition than the commandments. Remember commandment six, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, their response was pride and destruction. Pretty scary. So, verse three: While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the town oh sorry, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper—a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So, we're in the town of Bethany the hometown of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And they're at Simon's house, the leper. But imagine you can't have lunch with a leper. So he's obviously been healed. So something amazing has happened to Simon. And Lazarus is there too. And Lazarus was so sick that he died and was placed in a tomb and was dead for four days But Jesus brought him back to life. In John chapter 12, we find out the woman who's pouring out the perfume, her name is Mary, Lazarus' sister. And she has this beautiful alabaster jar of nard. Perhaps it's been a a family heirloom that has been passed on through the generations. It's a precious antique. It's a gift. And it's very valuable. It's a pint, nearly half a liter. And Mary pours it on Jesus' head and feet and she's wiping it with her hair. And what an incredibly humble and moving display of worship of her Lord. I want you to picture yourself in that room. Imagine the aroma, the, the smell, the taste, the sounds, the sight. The whole room is filled with the fragrance of worship. Mary's response to Jesus is an attitude of worship and gratitude. But I wonder what your response would be. Verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. We find out it's actually Judas who pipes up with this response. Why this waste? Don't you know we could have sold it for 50 grand and given the money to the poor? You know, why not? Sounds good. And John makes a side note that it wasn't Judas's concern for the poor that was the issue. He was the keeper of the money bag, and he often helped himself to it. Judas was greedy and a thief, and it's interesting to see that others in the room were agreeing with him. Imagine if Nuno said, sorry, guys, we're closing down the food pantry for the next three months because we're setting the money aside for Jesus' funeral. What would everyone say? What? (laughs) My goodness, they would be outraged. But the disciples' response was to call it a waste. They began to rebuke her harshly. What are you doing? Stop the waste. But these are the same disciples that rebuked the parents bringing the children to Jesus. Jesus had a lot to say about that too. He's like, wait a second. Let's see what Jesus' response is. And verse 6, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any anytime you want, but you will always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus speaks up for her. What she's done is beautiful. Out of all the disciples, all who'd been with Jesus, not one of them really understood him he, when he said he was about to die and rise again. But Mary had insight into him, and she was preparing for his burial. She had a heart connection with Jesus. You know, when they were at the tomb in, in John chapter 11, Mary was the one when she interacted with Jesus, it brought out that response that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. When he interacted with Martha and Martha said, Yes, yes, I believe in the resurrection, Jesus was like, Yeah, that's right, go get your sister. But when Mary came to Jesus and they connected and he saw her moved in emotion, that's when he said, Wow. I'm moved by emotion, and that's when he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Mary was noticed by Jesus. Jesus noticed Mary. Mary was devoted to Jesus, and Mary's heart's full of worship, full of gratitude. She's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for noticing me. Thank you for understanding me. Thank you. For the promise of the resurrection. Thank you for bringing my brother back to life. A million thank yous. What can I give you, Jesus, in response for all that you've done for me? And the most valuable thing that she had on hand was the perfume. But not just for the perfume, but she gave him her heart. She comforted him before his upcoming suffering. She knew he was about to die. Unlike his other disciples... They didn't comfort him in his suffering. The wonderful thing is that even today when we are sharing this story now, we remember Mary. As the, as the message is preached, we remember her. Her act of worship outlasts the generations and not a drop was wasted. Let's continue with verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. What Mary had done hardened Jesus, Judas's heart. He was a follower of Jesus, Jesus, and externally he was saying the right things, serving as a treasurer, but his heart wasn't with Jesus. Judas's heart was offended. And that response, that response of offense allowed temptation to come in. He sided with the chief priest to bring Jesus down for the promise of money. Was he following Jesus only when it suited him? While there was position, power, and possessions in the mix? And I wonder how many followers of Christ are in it for the position, power, and possessions. Or, or they start off in earnest but then they fall away because it's not what they expected. Let's continue with verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he was sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will beat you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Do you find it interesting that Jesus knows the exact details of what's to come? You know, the man carrying the water jar and the room upstairs, he, he knows all the details, which means that Jesus knows and can see ahead of what's coming his way. He's going to know the details of his arrest and suffering because Jesus can see, probably been revealed to him in prayer. Verse 17 When evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. Jesus is seeing into the future. He knows exactly who it is. Like in another um, in in Luke it's it's like you know, the one who I dip my bread in this water, you know, and, and give it to that's the one. He knows who it is. But then the disciples, their response, they were sad. They were sad and mixed with defensiveness. Not me. Surely not me. Would I be capable of doing such a thing? Verse 20, it's one of the 12, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me, the Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So Jesus knows exactly who it is. He knows it's Judas. He's not taken by surprise. He's grieved. But he knows it's all part of the eternal plan of God. Jesus, I think here, is giving Judas a final chance to repent. It's like even in the last days, he's going, Judas, you've got a chance. You can turn. You don't have to do this. But Jesus continues headlong into his plan. In Luke 22, 3, it says that Satan entered Judas's heart at this moment. That hardened heart allowed Satan access and evil followed. He sold Jesus out for 30 silver coins. Jews won't get away with it, though. He will have consequences for his betrayal. He dies, like, and his intestines spill out. It's quite brutal. It's awful. But that, it was better if he had not been born. But it was all part of the plan of God. Verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So as Jesus shares his last meal with the disciples, the bread represents the body which would be broken pierced on the cross, the wine represents the blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins the sacrifice of the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world the new covenant, the new promise between people and God that we can enter into by faith, not by the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood of the pigeons, etc verse 26 when they'd sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives verse 27 You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Do you notice that Peter missed the point? He's so focused on the fact that all of the disciples will be scattered and that all will be fall away. He forgets Jesus saying, I will rise again, and I'll be in Galilee. Go and meet me in Galilee. You know, it's like, hey, I'll meet you at the car at the end of church, right? No, after I rise, I'll be in Galilee. Go and meet me there. It's like, no, I will not fall away even if I die. I will never disown you. Oh, wait a second, I've rushed ahead. <laughs> yeah. He's so determined to be right, to be strong, to be brave, And in his own strength, he thinks he can do it. And Jesus replies in verse 30, "'Truly I tell you,' Jesus answered, "'today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, "'you yourself will disown me three times.'" But Peter insisted emphatically, "'Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you.'" And all the others said the same. Peter responds to Jesus with bravado and confidence. "'I will follow you even unto death. "'I'll never fall away.'" But did God? Did Peter really know what was inside himself? Did Peter really know there was about to be a reckoning, and he was about to come face to face with his insecurities? In in Luke twenty two thirty one, Jesus tells Peter, Satan asked if he could sift all the disciples as wheat. You know when you make a cake and you get the sieve and you push the flour through, and all the lumps stay at the top, and the beautiful pure flour is, uh, is left. And that's what the disciples uh, are going to go through. They're going to be sifted like wheat. And it's actually Satan asked to do it. So there's something like this cosmic uh, world going on that they don't really understand. But the beautiful thing is Jesus says, I will pray for you I will pray for you so you will not, you know, that you will, when you come back, you're going to be strengthened. You'll be able to strengthen them. Now, I wanted to do the whole chapter, and I'm going to do the whole chapter. But for the next 30 verses, I'm going to paraphrase it. Otherwise, we will be here till lunchtime. So let's continue. Um, so I'm going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane story. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus calls out to his disciples to support him. Sit with me, please. Watch and pray. He's feeling devastated. His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And Jesus prayed three times, praying the cup of suffering would be taken away. But he says, not my will be done, but the will of the Father. But the disciples' response to Jesus In his greatest hour of need is to sleep. In this quiet garden in the dead of the night, Judas and a crowd of soldiers arrive to arrest Jesus. Judas signals Jesus, he's the one, by a prearranged kiss. When Judas kisses him, the soldiers come in and, and in the kerfuffle, Peter cuts off one of the servants' ears. And Jesus, in his authority, he could have said, angels, come and rescue me, come and save me, but he didn't. He could have put an end of it, but he knew it was his time. He was doing this to fulfill the scriptures. He would be the Passover lamb. Verse 50, everyone deserted him and fled. And a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Imagine not one friend left to support Jesus, all ran for their lives. One disciple took off naked because he was afraid. Outright fear is their response. Desertion is their response. And now Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin, which is the council. When on trial, the chief priests were looking for evidence against Jesus, but they couldn't find any. Jesus was purely innocent. Some people told lies, some twisted his words. You remember when he talked about the temple being destroyed and coming back in three days? You know, when he said, Oh, look, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. So they were twisting his words, trying to accuse him. But they didn't actually, none of the stories could actually stick because he was innocent. And Jesus was silent. The high priest asked, Are you the Messiah? the son of the blessed one. And Jesus said, I am. I am is the name that God gives himself back to Moses. So it was considered a blasphemy to make yourself say that I am God. But Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Verse 63, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? The high priest's response was outrage. They all condemned him as worthy of death. Verse 65, some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. My Lord Jesus, how you would have suffered. Pure, innocent Jesus, who deserved none of this brutality, was treated like a criminal, mocked, scoffed. And while Jesus was inside having this mockery of a trial, Peter stood at a distance in the courtyard. A servant girl and the people around him started saying, hey, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of those disciples? And Peter denied it three times. He, he got to the point where he started swearing at them and calling down curses. I don't know this man you're talking about. And at that moment, the rooster crowed and Peter realized what had happened. He had denied Jesus three times and he broke down and wept. Peter's response when it mattered most was denial. So I'm going to conclude by asking, what are the responses to Jesus? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were out to discredit him, accuse him, condemn him. Like Judas, a hypocrite, a kiss to the face, betrayal, a betrayal behind his back, hard-hearted, offended. Like the disciples, confusion, sadness, sleepiness, fear to the point of desertion. Like Peter, with bravado and courage, but when the rubber hit the road, insecure, afraid, in a state of denial. Or like Mary with that heart of gratitude and worship. There's another instance in Luke 7 where an unnamed woman pours perfume on Jesus and washes his feet with her hair. Some people believe that woman in Luke 7 is Mary. Others don't. I, My opinion is it could be a different woman uh, because Jesus goes on to teach a parable about forgiveness after that because he made a point that the unnamed woman loved so much because she knew how much she'd been forgiven she loved because she loved much because she'd been forgiven much the other the host he loved little because he didn't know the depth of his forgiveness he'd been forgiven little this unnamed woman was labeled a sinful woman potentially a prostitute a woman who had seven demons cast out of her. Imagine how her life would have been transformed through the grace of Jesus. And I want you now to consider what the Lord has done in your life. Just as the Israelites were commanded to remember the Passover, to remember their great rescue, I want you to remember, to think back on what the Lord has done for you, times when you were so overwhelmed by the love of God. I remember a time, um, it was a few years ago, I was in the hospital waiting room with my mum and she was going in for surgery. She was about to have cancer removed from her liver and she was afraid. And she was saying through tears, she didn't want to die. She didn't want to die before. she didn't want to die before she seen me become a mother and I waited like I prayed with her and I prayed for her salvation I said God's going to work this out don't worry mum, don't worry God's got you, no matter what happens you know the angels are with you God is with you and he's got a home for you in heaven no matter what, it's going to be okay and I remember waiting for the operation I was there all day with her and, and then when I saw her and, you know, she had the tubes attached to her, but she, she could still squeeze my hand and she made it through. She made it through. And, and I was so grateful. I'm like, God, you're giving her another chance. You're giving her another chance. You're giving her more years. And then a couple, two years later after that, we saw, um, Christina born. That was an absolute miracle. You know, Christina's a miracle too. Um, so I just, I'm so thankful, just even for the things that God has done in our lives, um, so many things. And I thought, you know, well, there's things that God has done, but there's also those times where we've been in that season of waiting, and we, we know that God is with us, and those days that we've been digging those wells, and while I was preparing this message, I I wanted to pick up a Bible, and I picked up my Women of Faith Study Bible. And look, it's chunky, but it was given to me by um, a very significant woman in my life. And it's been with me for many years, like over 20 years. And um, there was a time where I was just weeping and wailing. And and, and I said, I'm going to study the Psalms every day. And I've got all of these drawings and notes and pictures, and I just reminded what God's character was like, even in the hard times. Um, and the Word of God pierces the heart; it shines the light, exposes thoughts and motives. And and I can honestly say, you know, my heart isn't always in a place of worship. I'm not always in gratitude. You know, there have been lots of ups and downs in the journey. You know, lots of offenses, lots of troubles, lots of griefs, lots of trauma. And on the contrary, you know, how many times have I been like the disciples, falling asleep when I could be praying? You know, how much has insecurity won out when hypocrisy is my mask? When we keep quiet about our faith and rather than express it in public? I wonder how many people in our workplaces know us as followers of Christ how many people know us as Christians. Well, we don't realize the predicament that we're in. You know, Our lives can run on cruise control and never realize the eternal problem we face, a life separated from our Creator. I want to just call up the worship team um, just so that we can have a little bit of reflection time and respond to what I've shared from the Word of God today. If you've ever stopped to reflect on how your life was before Christ and how much work the Lord has done to love you, forgive you, and set you free, just as the Israelites were commended to remember, I want to encourage you to remember. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the sacrifice he made for you on the cross, the blood that was shed for the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins. Remember the first love you had for him, your first love that desire, that delight in your heart when you know the love that God has for you. There are many people mocking and scoffing at the name of Jesus in the world. But truth be told, you know, we are amongst them because it's our sin. It's our sin that held Jesus to the cross. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, we would be no different. When I was a young Christian in the 90s, this song was written and it's resonated with me so much while writing this message. As we meditate on the words and themes of Mark 14, consider the love the Father demonstrates towards us on the cross. From how deep the Father's love for us. Let me just read this verse and then Yanto will sing for us. It says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is a finished